0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity uh, that you've given us, Lord, to gather freely together as the church today, God. It's always a-, a blessing and a privilege, Lord, to be able to gather together freely. And Lord, I just pray that during this time, Father, that you will have your will and way in and in through me, God, and in through this message, Lord. We know, Lord, that... Um, By human strength, we can do nothing. We cannot transform anyone, God, but you can transform people. You can transform lives and heal broken hearts. So that's what I pray that you will do, God, in and through this message, in and through your word, Lord. May you be glorified, and I just pray that each and every person that is here today will walk out of this place transformed and with a renewed commitment to follow the Lord Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, fall upon us, Lord. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was telling uh, Rachel back there when I was going to get a drink of water, I was like, I don't know why, but it's like everyone here has something stuck in their throat today. Like in Sunday school, hot and just hacking and coughing, and uh, and me too, like I've got something stuck in my throat, so if I keep kind of, you know, clearing my throat throughout the message, that's my apology. I have no idea what's going on, but just like that. So, uh, yeah, I would like to start off just uh, by thanking Brother Darwin again, for the opportunity to be able to share the Word today. Um, it's always a blessing and a privilege for me to be able to uh, share the Word, to, to speak whenever I'm home. And uh, back in the summer of 2018, I actually led a discipleship class here at Oak Grove. And for those of you who participated that in that class, um, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is going to... Uh, it's going to be a reminder. You're going to be reminded of that class as we work through the message today. And the theme of, of discipleship, of following Jesus, has been very close to my heart for several years now. And nowadays, more than ever, people need to hear the good news that they have the opportunity to follow Jesus. Because nowadays, you know, people, and this has been the case throughout all of human, human history, people want to know, why am I here? Like, why, why did God create me? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What do I need to do? Who do I need to be? And we have this, this pressing question, and we can't escape it. This is, this is a, a thought and, and a question that God has hardwired into the hearts of all human beings. Because He does have a purpose for us. He does have a plan for us. And we realize that we have a purpose here, but oftentimes we don't know what that purpose is. And even as Christians, at times we can lose sight of what our main goal is and what our main purpose here, what our main purpose is here in this world when we get distracted by the things of this world. So, today we're going to be talking about following Jesus. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I want you all to understand this that this is the most important thing that we could ever be talking about. This right here, this, this, Theme. This topic that we are about to address is the most important thing that we could ever be talking about or thinking about. And too often times, like I said before, the things of this world, they distract us. We get distracted and we lose sight of what our main purpose should be here in this world. And we need to get back to that and we need to fight back against the distractions that this world brings into our lives. So I implore all of us, including myself today, to pay very close attention to what the Lord is going to speak to us through this passage of Scripture we're about to read. So, go with me, for those of you who have your Bibles, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will a son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, we're going to go back to verse 34 and reread that. And This is the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what I love about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus, He makes this call to everyone who was there. To His disciples and to the multitude. Because it says, "...and calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me." So, this calling that Jesus gave was for the disciples. And it was for the multitude. And it is for all of us today. This calling that Jesus made and is still making is for everyone. It is for everyone. It is for those who are in the church, for those who are are saved, and this calling is also for those who are not here currently. This is for churched people, and this is for unchurched people, for the saved and for the lost. This calling is for anyone who will hear it and listen to it and take it to heart. So, for those of you who are here today... If you are saved, if you are a disciple of Jesus, glory to God for that. Continue submitting yourself to the Lord. And if you are here today and you are not saved, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are not a born-again Christian, then Jesus is calling you this very day to make this commitment to follow Him and to be saved. This calling is for us all. And when Jesus says in verse 34, If anyone would come after me, he is talking about desire. He is saying, if anyone wants to follow me, that's what he's talking about. So here's the question. What is it that we desire? What does our heart truly want above all else? What do we want? What do we want to do in this world? That's the question. And if we truly desire to follow King Jesus as a way of life, then great. He is about to tell us how to do that. But the problem is that oftentimes we desire earthly things more than we do heavenly things. Oftentimes we're distracted by the things of this world and we think, oh, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, I've got to have that, I've got to have that, I've got to have this, and my life is never going to be good unless I have all these things, unless I meet all these personal goals. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with personal goals and aspirations or with having stuff in this world. You know, God will bless us with those things at times. There's nothing wrong with that. But that shouldn't be the center of our focus. Amen. The Bible says that we are to set our minds and our hearts upon heavenly things. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we are to be thinking about spiritual realities. Because when we die, when we leave this world, we can't take any of the stuff we have with us. Amen. It's going to be between us and the Lord in our spiritual walk with Him that truly matters. And furthermore, nowadays, so many people desire The nice Jesus, right? And I've heard it called the sissified Jesus. The Jesus that doesn't ever judge sin. The Jesus that doesn't ever call someone out to repent. The Jesus that only wants us to be nice like Him and nothing more. No holiness, no repentance, no cross, no sacrifice. That's what people want nowadays. But the real Jesus, the one that is found in Scripture... He tells us, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What Christ is saying here is that there is a cost. We have to surrender our lives. We have to give ourselves over to God. And the Greek word here for to to deny, when he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, the Greek word for deny here means a complete rejection of something or someone. So, Jesus, he uses this term to emphasize the seriousness of what he is saying. It's a very strong term. And Jesus, he actually had a habit of doing that throughout his ministry. Like, Uh, At one point in his ministry, Christ said that if we do not hate our parents, our spouses, our children, our families, then we cannot follow him. Well, Jesus isn't actually saying that we have to hate our families because that would contradict the scripture that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Literally what he is saying there, and simply put, is that love me more than you love them. Love me even more than you love your own family members and your friends, your closest loved ones. Love me more than you love them. It's not that we're called to love others less, it's that we are called to love God more. But Jesus, he had a habit of doing that, right? He, he used these really strong terms to emphasize a very important spiritual reality. And I hasten to add here that when Christ calls us to deny, to deny ourselves, he isn't saying that we need to ignore that we exist, okay? That wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Like if we're to live on this planet, we obviously need to take care of ourselves, and we need to do what's good for ourselves, that is true. Rather what Jesus is simply saying is that we need to live for him as of first importance. We need to reject sin and arrogance in our lives because what is what has happened is that we as human beings, we are born into this world sinful. And and, and sin it infects our very person. So at times we we do sinful things, we have arrogant attitudes, we have messed up desires and motivations and thoughts, and we are to reject those things to fight back against those things because what our flesh wants us to do is to live for me myself and i that's what our flesh wants us to do but we are to reject that we are to say no i'm going to live for the lord as of first importance it's not that i don't matter at all because god has created me with value but i need to use this life that he has graciously given me to live for him to live for His glory, to live for His honor and His purposes. I am called to submit myself. That is what Jesus is saying when He says, deny yourself. And disciples of Jesus are called to seek the kingdom of God above all else, even our own priorities. Yes, at times we have goals, we have priorities, we have dreams in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we submit those things to God, for Him to to use our dreams, to use our desires, to use our goals for His glory, for His purposes. And oftentimes, if you are walking in step with the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. And other times, He will change your desires so that you will want what He wants for your life instead of selfish ambition. So we are called to love God above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves instead of loving sinful things from the world. And we are called to live this way as a style of life. This is the key, and this is what so many people, and I hate this, this is what so many people don't seem to get nowadays. This is not about having an emotional moment once in your life and then just living for yourself after that, just like you did before. Jesus is calling us to a way of life. He's calling us to a lifelong commitment. It's true we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus alone. But that faith has to continue. It's not that simply once upon a time I said, Oh, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. You're my Savior. The end. It's that I continue to believe that every single day and to remind myself of that. And I continue to remind myself that He is still the King. He is still my Lord. He is my Master. So I am called to serve Him every day. This is not about getting emotional one point in your life and saying, I will follow Him, and then you never do it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, make the simple commitment by faith to live this out for the rest of your life. And guess what? If we do that, the Holy Spirit will help us to carry it out. God, He is the author of our salvation, He is the sustainer of our salvation, and He is the completer, the consummator of our salvation. And we should rejoice in that. And Jesus, here in verse 34, He also says that His disciples need to take up their cross. And this is something that we really need to understand. That the cross, it is not only a symbol of forgiveness. Okay, now the cross obviously is a symbol of forgiveness and we praise God for that. We praise God for what Christ did for us on the cross. So it is a symbol of forgiveness. But it is also a symbol of submission. Because in the case of Jesus, the cross for Him wasn't a symbol of forgiveness because He didn't need forgiveness. He never sinned. He never messed up. The cross, rather, for Jesus was a symbol of submission because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ submitted His life to the will of God the Father even unto death on the cross. Christ obeyed the will of His Father to the point of death. He gave His life up because He wanted to obey His Father's will. And that's the same pattern of life that we are called to to just completely give ourselves up over to the Lord. We are called to complete and total submission to God, and that is a wonderful thing, as we are about to see in verse 35. Christ continues. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. My friends, here is the great paradox. We must die in order to live. We must die in order to live. Pride and self-preservation will result in spiritual death, but repentance and surrender result in eternal life. Yet again, many people want the blessings of salvation. They want the blessings of a relationship with God without the cost. And again, salvation, it is free in the sense that we don't earn our salvation by good works. It's by faith alone in Jesus alone, and we cannot emphasize that enough. However, to believe in Jesus, to truly trust in Him as your Savior, you also have to believe in God as your King. That's the cost. Because when we truly surrender ourselves to God by faith as our King, He is going to take a hold of our lives and He is going to transform us. He's going to change our desires. He's going to give us a, a new mind that, that is capable of really thinking about Him and learning about Him and obeying Him and loving Him. That's the cost. We are saying, God, take over. That's the cost because He will come in. When we really cry out to God from our hearts, you better believe it. He's going to come on in and He's going to root out the bad stuff and He's going to put in more good things than we could have ever hoped for or imagined. He will transform us, but we must die in order to live. We must surrender in order to receive these benefits and these blessings. And when Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, that verb for lose in Greek refers to total destruction that a person brings upon themselves. This is another really strong term that Jesus is using here. Total annihilation that a person brings down upon their own head. So, basically what happens oftentimes is that a person, they they want to find abundant life, but they try to find that abundant life by living for themselves, by living a selfish, arrogant life where they pursue all their dreams, all their desires, all their pleasures, and they think that that's how they're going to find abundant life instead of living for God, but then what happens is that they lose the very thing that they wanted to obtain. Imagine how sad that would be to think that oh yeah this is the good life. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want it, whenever I want it because it's all about me. And a person if they think that way and live that way and then they get to get or they end up before the presence of God at the end after they die and they find out it was all for nothing. Don't be duped. Don't be a sucker. Don't believe that, oh yeah, the world's right when it says just do whatever makes you happy because that's the best way to live. It's not worth it. We are to surrender ourselves to the Lord. And the person, and this is, this is the awesome thing that I was referring to earlier, the person who loses their life for Christ, that is to say the individual that submits their life to Christ as King and Lord, they will be the ones that find abundant life. Because Jesus, He says in John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here's another Greek word that's really cool. In Greek, the word abundantly here refers to something that exceeds expectations. So this isn't just saying that, oh yeah, there's a lot of good life there. It's saying that this is more than you could have ever hoped for or imagined. And that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe, is that the things that God has prepared for those who love Him, we can't even fathom them. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So, when we come into a relationship with Christ, when we truly commit to following Jesus, to following His teachings, to following His style of life in our own lives, we find this abundant life. And this is what happens oftentimes that, you know, a person when they are first saved, why, why do they surrender to Christ? Oftentimes, it is simply to be saved, to go to heaven, and that's great because Jesus is the only way to heaven. But then after that, they find that, wow, it's not only that I get to go to heaven, it's also that I have uh, a new spiritual family that will welcome me, that will include me, that will help me through my darkest moments. I also have a Father who is perfect, who is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once, and I can trust in Him and call on Him in each and every moment. And I I have hope, I have blessings, I have a future. I can be restored. I can be redeemed. They find all these things that they didn't know that were included in the initial package. Christ came that we may have life and have it abundantly. But again, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That is the person that will will receive the abundant life that Jesus has to offer. So Jesus, he hasn't called us to a boring life that has no purpose. That's oftentimes, you know, what people display Christianity as is, oh, it's a bunch of checklists of don't do this, don't do that, don't have fun, don't smile because life is terrible. Like, it, it, but it's not like that. The, the life that Christ offers us is the most joyful, peaceful, greatest style of life that we could ever be experiencing. And that's because He is the author of life, right? He created the whole thing. Jesus, He's the Son of God, and He Himself is God. He's fully divine. So He created this whole thing, and that means that He knows how it works, how it should work better than anyone, so we can trust Him with our lives. Oftentimes people think that, no, I I can't give myself over to the Lord. I can't give this area of my life over to God because I've got to take care of it. But listen, if God is the author of life, He knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. So you can trust the Lord with everything in your life. With your marriage, with your relationships, with your kids, with your job, with your free time, with your hobbies. You can trust Him with it all. Because He knows how it's all supposed to work. And what's even better than that is that even in our sufferings in Christ, God is working for our good. And the Lord, he, he knows what He's doing with His children, so why do we doubt that at times? Like, whenever you are a follower of Jesus, when you are a born-again child of God, the, the Scripture promises, and God cannot lie, the Scripture promises that the Lord will use everything in your life for good. He will use it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God will use everything that happens in our lives for good, for our benefit, for our joy to help us love Him more, to help us become more like Jesus because that's the greatest good there is. Oftentimes, we want to be transformed. We we, we want to change. We want to be better parents or better spouses or better sons or better daughters or better Christians or better whatever it may be. But then when suffering comes our way, we don't realize that, hey, the Lord has a purpose in this, you know? That doesn't mean that we just have to sit back and say, you know what, I'm never going to pray about this because I just want to suffer my whole life. It's not like that. Yeah, we pray for the suffering to end, but if it doesn't for a time, we can know that, hey, the Lord has a purpose in this. He's going to use this to make me stronger. So that's another one of these incredible benefits that we receive in Christ. Because if you're suffering in life without Christ, without God, what benefit is that? You have no hope. If you're not believing in him, but in Christ, even in the midst of the darkest times, there is hope. Amen. Whoever would lose their life will save it. All right, let's go on now to verses 38, or 36 through 38. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is a great question, right? What does it benefit a person to gain the whole world, the whole thing, if they only end up losing their soul? We can have it all. All the money. All the possessions, all the attractive men or women, all the fame, all the glory. We can have it all. But at the end, if we lose our souls in hell, none of that really matters. Because guess what? You cannot buy a soul out of hell. You cannot bargain with God. The Bible says that it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Once you die, that's it. You're not taking anything, any of your stuff with you into the next life. So what does it matter? Yeah, 70, 80, maybe 90 years of carnal pleasure and having it all, but then after that, spending eternity separated from God, under His wrath in hell for your sins that you never repented of. What? It, it's not worth it. Amen. It's just simply not worth it worth it the individual that doesn't have Jesus has nothing Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing they don't have hope they don't have salvation and they don't know God and that is a terrible way to live that is the worst way to live this world this this culture we live in that is so secular and godless it'll tell us that oh yeah you need to live for yourself you need to live for the things of the world you need to pursue this pursue that because there you're going to find the good life but that's false Because if you don't know the Lord, then you don't have any life within you. You're dead in your sins. You're dead in your trespasses. And you will make mistake after mistake after mistake. Just ask someone who decided, maybe when they were a young person, that, you know, I'm going to live for myself and and I'm going to leave God behind. Ask them how that's going in 20 or 30 years when they have no family, no friends, and they're just completely shattered and broken. That's what sin leads to. It leads to death. Not only spiritual death in hell, but also in this life. Sin, it ruins us. It ruins our souls. So we are to reject sin. We are to reject arrogance. Don't buy into the the cultural narrative that you need to live for yourself and do whatever makes you happy because that's the best thing you can do. Don't buy into that because it's not true. It's not worth it even if we have this entire world to ourselves for 70 or 80 years. And furthermore, as we can see in verse 38, the person who says that they love Jesus but refuses to follow his teachings out there in the world is ashamed of him. And I want to be clear here that in the context of this passage, this isn't talking about someone, you know, who is nervous at times to share the gospel. Rather, it is talking about being ashamed of the gospel and of the word of God itself to the point that that results in unbelief. Because in the context of this passage, Jesus, he's talking about Following him and being saved or rejecting him and being damned to hell? Those are the two things. Those are the two opposites, the two contrasts that he is working with here. So this is talking about being ashamed of him and of the word of God to the point that you reject him totally. And as an example of this, many people nowadays would, would say that they are Christians, but afterward they would be ashamed of what the word of God says. They would say, oh, that's not for today that was written 2,000 years ago by some crazy guy in a cave. That's not for today. You know, God, God isn't like that. And the way I know that is because that's what I feel in my heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick with sin. Who can know it? This is what happens. That, that people, they, they end up rejecting God by rejecting His Word. They say, well, I'm saved by grace, so that means that I don't have to obey. I can just live however I want because I have a license to live however I want, because we're saved by faith and not by works, right? That's the kind of, twister, of scripture twisting that will go on, that a person that is ashamed of the Word will, will do in their lives. A person who is ashamed of Jesus, they will keep one foot in religion and the other foot in the world, and that's how they like to live. They will come to church, perhaps regularly, and they will behave one way and then when they go out into the world for the rest of the week, they live just like the rest of the world, being a slave to sin. And that's how they like to live. That's what he's talking about here. That is a person who is ashamed of Christ because they say to themselves, you know, it's really not worth it. I know what Jesus says. I know what He has called me to, but it's just not worth it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compartmentalize my Jesus and my religion. I'm going to leave it for Sunday morning. And then the rest of my life is just off limits. God can't touch that. That that belongs to me, and I'm gonna live how I want to live there. That's what he's talking about. And and there's a great consequence there for the person that, that is doing that if they don't repent, because Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When Jesus says there of him also will the Son of Man be ashamed, he is saying, in other words, you're not making it to heaven if you are ashamed of me and of my words, and if you reject me in this life. So again, I know I've said this probably ten times in this message, but it's not worth it. It's not worth it to be ashamed of Christ. It's not worth it to live a selfish life. And God has called us something to so much better than that. Amen. I mean, imagine that. Living a life is a hypocrite. Because that's what you would be. If you're coming to church and just playing the church game, and you go off into the world and you never read your Bible, you never pray... You're, you're hooked on all sorts of, of, of sins, pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be that we're hooked on. That's a terrible way to live. God has called us to something that is so much better than, than that. So go with me now, as we're getting close to wrapping this up, go with me now to John chapter 17. I'm going to read a verse from there. John chapter 17, verse 3. And once again, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? The abundant life that Jesus offers to us when we lay our lives down before him? John 17, 3 is the definition that Jesus himself gives us. And what does he talk about? He simply talks about having a relationship with the living God. And the Greek word for to know here indicates experiential knowledge of God. This isn't just head knowledge, you know. This isn't just some sort of bland theology course where you're like, oh, I know all this stuff about God, but it doesn't ever you know, reach your heart. This is theology of the heart, or of the mind, and of the heart. This is experiential knowledge, where through Jesus alone, God gives us experiential knowledge of His love, of His joy, of His peace, of His faithfulness, of the fruits of the Spirit, where we really experience God in a personal relationship. And in Him, we have everything. And, and this is really simple, isn't it? Christianity is about having a personal relationship with the living God. And we aren't ranked against each other. And that's the coolest thing because oftentimes in in our lives we think that, oh, this person's better than me, that person's ranked above me. And even in society, you know, we have rankings, we have social classes, we have classifications of this and that and that and this. But in the kingdom of God, if you're a child of God, you're a child of God, and that's that. No one's better than the other person. We're all called to believe in the Lord. And when we do that, we're all brought into the family. So the world may reject you based on its rankings and its qualifications, but if you truly repent and trust in Christ, you'll never be rejected. You'll be welcomed into a family where we're all on the same level. And all spiritual blessings like heaven, forgiveness the kingdom of God, spiritual gifts, the church, restoration, healing, redemption, all of those things come directly from this personal relationship that we have when we die to ourselves and accept Christ as Savior and Lord. So this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, lose your life, give your life over to me so that I can give you abundant eternal life in a relationship with the living God. And that is profound. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who, who breathed the stars and the planets and the entire universe into existence. The one who is so strong that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, just like that. And no one can stop him. This is the God we're talking about. A God who is, who is all perfect, all wise. We get to know him. We get to experience his joy, his pleasure, and his satisfaction. And this is, this is the pattern of Jesus, right? When Jesus calls us to follow Him, there's a reason He's saying, follow me. Because this is the same pattern of life that Jesus lived. Christ, He died for our sins on the cross, and then He was resurrected. Well, in the same way, when we follow Jesus, we die to sin. In other words, sin loses its power over us, and we get to live for God. It's the same pattern. And it's the best life you could possibly live. So here is here's my question for you all and for myself. How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond that to this calling that Jesus has given us? Well, for anyone here who is not currently believing in God as their king, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you. Repent. Turn from your sins. And, and cling to Christ as your Savior and you will be saved, that is a promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. What matters is that you respond to this call that Jesus is, is giving to you because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And there's a reason that the Bible says that. Is because the Bible never says that tomorrow is promised. We don't know whether or not we're going to make it to tomorrow. So why don't we get right with God today? Don't harden your heart. If you are sitting there and you are feeling conviction, you are feeling the Holy Spirit working in your heart, convicting and moving and, and convincing you to repent, don't reject that. Because if you reject it and if you just move on with your life, it's going to be even harder to repent the next time. Today is the day of salvation. And for my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who are here today... It's true that we've already made this commitment, right? We are saved. We are followers of Christ by the grace of God. However, at times we don't submit ourselves as we ought to. And in fact, every time we sin, we are rejecting submission in that moment. And, you know, we're still saved even after we, we sin. But in order to have a deeper relationship with God, we need to submit our lives more and more. All of our lives, whatever it may be that we are not surrendering to God, we are to give it up. This is, this is a process. This is a, a way of life that we are learning how to live. And when we do that, when we give our all, when we seek God with all of our hearts, when we surrender our desires and our plans and our families and our possessions to the Lord, we will grow in the abundant life that Jesus has given us. And I'm speaking from experience here. In my own life, I've found that if I really try to control things in my life and if I truly just try to live for myself, then that leaves me empty and broken afterwards. It doesn't work. And I imagine probably all of you know that too because we've all tried it one time or another. When we surrender, even as Christians, we will continue to grow in the abundant life that Jesus has given us. AJ, if you'll come. Please stand with me. You know, I can I can speak on on behalf of, of Brother Darwin and Hans and whoever else gets up here to speak, whoever does the devotional and whatever it may be, that whenever we're up here speaking, you know, whether or not a person says amen, you know, that, that's up to them. We appreciate the support, we appreciate all that. But what we appreciate more than anything, and what God appreciates more than anything, is that you would go and obey the message, and that we ourselves would go and would live out what we are preaching to you all. That's what counts. You know, for me, it's worth it. If I make the whole congregation mad for a week or two, but then they are are in a deeper relationship with God after that, it's worth it. And I believe, you know, Darwin and Hanson and the others would say the same. That's our goal. That is what God wants for us. So when I ask this question, how are we going to respond, I'm not just thinking of a nifty way to close the message. I'm being serious. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? Are we going to change or are we just going to keep going the same way we're going because that's what's comfortable. I promise you, if you surrender your life and lay it down to the Lord, whether you're saved or not, you will find abundant life after that and it will grow and it will grow and the Lord will do marvelous things in your life. I promise you because that's what God promises us. So the Christian life, it is a process of submission to God through His Word and through His Spirit. The Lord, He gave us Grace initially to receive salvation and He continues to give us grace so that we will be saved even more from sin and from death and from the devil in this world. He gives us grace now. He gave us grace at the beginning and He will give us grace at the end if we will only trust in Him. So, in conclusion here, may we all remember this crucial truth. I want this to be the phrase that sticks in all of your hearts and minds. We must die in order to live. Please bow your heads with me. If anyone would like to come and pray at the altar, consider the altars open. Um, Don't reject the Lord today. Submit to Him. Surrender. He's here with us, and He'll be with us to the very end. So wherever you're at, cry out to God in your heart. Surrender to Him. I hope and pray that's what we all do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment, Lord, in a posture of submission, Lord, and humility. God, this is an awesome and wonderful call that you have given us, Lord, that we may walk in obedience and in holiness before you, Lord. And this is the best life that we can be living, God. You're not calling us to something that is dull and drab. You're calling us to a deeper relationship with Yourself. And that is wonderful, God, and we praise You and we glorify You for that. So Lord, I just pray for each and every person who's here today, including myself. God, work in our hearts. Work in our minds. Lord, change us. Change the way we think. Change our desires. Help us to understand and to just see clearly that Christ, He's worth giving up everything for. He is to be our greatest treasure. And Father, we, we, we praise You and thank You, Lord, for the fact that through Jesus we can make it to heaven, we can enter into the kingdom and we can receive your love and your benefits and all spiritual blessings. Thank you for that, Lord. So again, God, I just pray that you will pour out your spirit upon everyone who is here. Convict, redeem, restore. Have your will and way in us, God. Lord, reign in our hearts and in our minds because you are king and it is your right, Lord, to reign over us. And we know that you are not a tyrant. You are a benevolent king who only wants what is best for your people. God, continue to use our sufferings for good. Lord, protect us from physical dangers and from spiritual dangers. Protect us from the enemy. Lord, just help us to receive you more and more each and every day. We love you and praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.